They're not that funny. They're not that good at sports. They're, you know, I mean, just like- Oh, so, so you checked out my YouTube page? All right, that's what's up, thanks. <laughs> How would you describe Palestinians? Very hospitable, family-oriented, but we have drama too. We love to eat. Bamia is the one food that I'm like really- Are you pro-Bamia? Oh, 100% pro-Bamia, love oh. Bamia. Wow, I hear that's a I'm controversial so subject. so anti. There is a very serious split on TikTok, pro and anti-Bamia, by the way. Really? You cannot like Bamia. It's hairy. That's, it tastes like people hair. Have, see, this is where what? This is where Slimy. it starts. Okay, so this is where we start to have problems. <laughs> is this, is this okay? Bamia slander that we're hearing? <laughs> there could be a lot of reasons you don't like Bamia. Preference, maybe you have a genetic disorder, maybe there's some <laughs> other reason. But if you don't like Bamia and you're Palestinian, my message to you is this. Just shut up about it. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode three of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of spreading awareness about the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Laura E. You may know me from Instagram as at Gazan Girl, and I am joined by my co-host, Mikey B. Hey, what's up, y'all? Mikey B here on TikTok and Michael Scherzer on Instagram. Mikey Intifada, if you work for the IDF's Informational Warfare Division. We are so excited about today's show. But before we get into it, please take a moment to like, comment, subscribe. We're also super excited to let you know that you can finally find us on Spotify and Deezer and the other podcast apps. You can also find our full-length episodes at palestinepod.com. And what's really great about our website is that for every episode, we've actually put a complete list of all of the sources that we relied on in the preparation of that episode. Episode. So if you hear us refer to a statistic, a fact, any quotes, um, or a book on the podcast, and you would like more information, please do check out our website. We list everything for you right there. We got resources, baby. <laughs> we got them sources. Come through. Get yeah. them sources. Damn, y'all got a way bigger bookshelf than I do. Y'all got maybe... <laughs> 50 to 75 books a piece that's just what's in the living room I all right you don't gotta flex office. you don't gotta flex your additional <laughs> books all right i'm making a point that i've only got like four or five right here um and i thought that was a real sweet setup i'm not gonna lie <laughs> i was like that's these four or five books are gonna kill them you know what i mean and turns out you need a full library to contend with palestinians for sure we read a lot all right, so let's get into it. Today we have our first guest on the show, lawyer, comedian, law professor, and community organizer out of Dearborn, Michigan, which is the heart, of course, of the Palestinian-American community, Amir Zahir. How are you, sir? Wonderful. How are you guys? Good. Pleasure to meet you. Really, really yeah. good. I do have a lot more books. Oh, man. Since Dang. we're doing this. Dang. <laughs> Dang. Know, just... Both of y'all just had to flex your extra books on me. I'm just, you know, well, we went to law school. Yeah. No, okay. I get it. <laughs> yes. No, I, it, there's there's levels to this. I get it. Yeah. So, Ahmed, welcome to the Palestine Pod. Thank you so much well, for coming on. Well, thank you guys for having me, Laura and Michael. I'm very happy to be here with you. We are very excited to have you here. Um, the main reason is that you are, in a way, a mashup of Michael and myself, in that you are a lawyer and a comedian all at once. And you sort of exemplify the reason why we wanted to 
make this podcast. We wanted to stay sharp on the facts and the law, which is why we prepare a bibliography for every single episode that we do, but we also wanted to keep it lighthearted and we really value jokes and banter. We realize that we can't ask people to come spend an hour with us every single week if we don't give them a reason to laugh. <laughs> if we just, you know, make them depressed, the situation is dark enough and we feel like we have to tr sort of present the reality with a side of humor. So we want to get started by asking you first how it is that you feel that you see humor and what its role is in your work. Do you see it really as a way to educate the world about our story? Is it a way to heal trauma? Is it simply a form of artistic expression for a type A, very logic-oriented lawyer brain? Is it all of the above? What's your experience been with that? And shouts out to the way she phrased that question like a lawyer. <laughs> You know what I mean? That was like a 17 part question. You're under deposition right now. For well, sure. This is what this is what this is how you learn. This, this, is how, this is how you learn things in law school. Everything <laughs> happens. Is it or in the alternative or in the alternative or in the alternative, you know, and you're hoping to get some information, She's just trying to get information. She doesn't want to answer. She just wants want info. You know? Yeah. Um, well, look, comedy is all of those things to give you another lawyerly response is that a lot of times in front of crowds that I have that are Palestinian, yes, it's therapeutic. You know, they're, they are, uh, uh, releasing some of their pain and anxiety through the stuff that I'm doing on stage for crowds who are not Arab or Palestinian. It's educational for young kids. It can be inspirational, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's the tool that I use to impart my experiences and my worldview. Some people use poetry, some people use song. Uh, I use comedy. And it's not foreign. The notion of using comedy is not foreign to uh, situations that might seem on their face to be, uh, I don't know, tragic or uh, sad. You know, comedy, uh, I write in the foreword to my, to my book um, that, you know, you can see somebody laugh so much they start crying but you can also see somebody cry so much they start laughing mm. and so these emotions are connected somehow you know the the extreme of one of them leads to the other uh and so i, I you know i've had palestinians at my comedy shows you know they're they're laughing and then they start crying and i don't mean crying because they're laughing too much i mean crying because of like sadness and then they start laughing again i mean i i don't know if that's good or bad or that just means palestinians are messed up are, are, are we allowed to curse on the podcast we need there yeah yeah there's absolutely i don't know if that just means yeah. we're generally fucked up i think we are <laughs> you know i mean you know we don't have ptsd we have ptsd like it's present traumatic stress disorder yeah. mm. it's still happening and um you know that is something that lives within every palestinian we have the weight of our ancestors and the weight of the stuff that's going on today and so that is sort of like a perfect setting for humor you know it's not that people some people sometimes think it's the opposite it's not it's a perfect setting for humor and then sometimes people say to me you know because because i'm a comedian and i and i'll always use humor and they say well i never know if you're if you're being serious and my answer is I'm always being serious. Like I comedians, I mean, comedians who know what they're doing. We don't use comedy to to just joke around. We don't use comedy to lie. We use comedy to tell the truth. You know, use humor to tell the truth. So just because you're joking doesn't mean you're not trying to tell the truth. And so, you know, it just has worked out for me as it's something that um, in the beginning as a form of communication came a little natural to me. But 
you know, technique wise, it took, you know, a few years before and still before you figure out how to use it correctly on stage, you know, and that the technique is just as important as the sort of willingness to get up on a stage. But no, to answer your question, comedy is can be anything to anyone um, as long as it's coming authentically from the, from the comedian. Um, I think it can be very effective. Yeah, I think some of the best comedians exemplify what you're talking about. Richard Pryor, George Carlin, uh, Jimmy Dore, you know, those type of comics who speak truth to power. I think like white guy comedian is the hardest job in the world because I mean, like what? I was what just going to say, because they have no trauma. Well, Thank what you is there to so talk much. about? Thank I mean, you so much for to, saying that, honestly. What, because... I mean, I'm not saying that as like a sign of respect. I mean, I don't <laughs> no, really I know. know any, I... I don't really know any good white comedians. I mean, I know like a, a few good white male comedians. There's like three. Okay. All right. Um, (laughs) But Michael, you don't count as a white guy comedian. You're Jewish. You have trauma. So there's no, you know what I mean? Like, it's not the same as like a a settler colonial European. It depends what setting he's in. I mean, if the cops pull me over, they're not going to be like, he's a Jew. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. So I I mean, Ashkenazi Jews are basically white in America. Exactly. Except in some of the, except among obviously white nationalists they're not and in, and obviously in certain white circles they're they're not but the people of color you know they basically are but no i mean like white waspy yeah comedians like you know i mean what it's just the hardest job in the world i mean what is there to talk about so they end up so they end up talking about like you know observational like you know hey yeah. have you ever seen when somebody goes to the mall and they want to go into a store and the salesman just comes right up to them and that's so annoying you're like okay dude i mean all right. Damn, i mean i guess that's interesting fired at jerry seinfeld <laughs> i mean a- actually jerry seinfeld is the only one who's good at that he's good okay. at it okay um, but there's like a million of him that try to do it that are not very good at it, and it's just not interesting. Mm-hmm. And Jerry Seinfeld's jokes, like I, I think Jerry Seinfeld's funny. Part Arab, by the way, Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah, I think oh, really? uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. Oh yeah, his mom is Syrian. I got the ambulance. <laughs> yeah, my nightly ambulance. They're coming that's to the take Europe, my. That's what, they're European coming to take ambulance. my body away because you just deceased me on this pod. <laughs> 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 he said, white male comedians, all of you. Does it follow then that the less trauma you have, you know, the less funny you are? Well, you guys are underestimating my trauma because not I, you know, I didn't get everything I wanted for Hanukkah. You know what I mean? So I'm sure it was difficult. I, I had some yeah. tough times. Yeah, but you did get our land. So, you know, that's not. The, uh, you know, I've never been to Israel for moral reasons. But yeah, well, there's no such thing called Israel. But in any case, so and anyway, okay. so. Uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, Israel is an idea. It's a government. It is yes. a uh, movement. It's an ideology, but it's not a piece of land. I've never stepped right. foot in Palestine. There we go. Out of protest. That's, there we go. Look, I mean, the, the the Zionists called it Palestine. Does that does everyone everyone has everyone who's ever studied Palestine has always seen that poster that visit Palestine yep. poster that sure. was this was a Zionist propaganda tool yes. to get Jews to move from Europe to Palestine in the 30s. So it's actually was created by them. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, you know, this is a different thing to get into. You know, this is a different thing. We're going to get into all of this. It's a different thing to get into. Michael's been practicing. I did. I watched your video numerous times. But yes, white male comedian, I I think is the hardest job in the world because there is, because it's just, I mean, what are you going to, what is there to talk about? What is there to talk about? They talk about relationships a lot. 
Yeah, but I mean, how you know? But anyone can do that. I mean, it's it's it's. I just don't think it's that interesting. <laughs> There's the not thing. that many good ones. Like so, I, for instance, Bill Burr. <laughs> I think Bill Burr is an amazing comedian. Bill Burr though talks about politics and race. It's very right. hard for a white comedian to talk about race. By the way, he's right. got to be very careful. Bill mm. Burr is very good at that. Lewis Black, who is a white comedian, but he only talks about pol- it's all politics and the government and criticizing George Carlin. Criticizing the government, criticize it. That's those that kind of comedy is not observational comedy. That's political comedy. That's satire. But most white comedians are doing, you know, um, observational comedy. You know, it's just not that good. But hey, you know, being white is amazing because they get all the Netflix specials and they get all the Comedy Central specials. They end up on TV, disproportionate amount of the comedy specials and the Netflix specials and all that kind of stuff with, you know, so-so comedy. And but I mean, this is the beauty of being white. I mean, you know, this, the you know, it's just, you know, the standards are a little lower. And, yeah. um, you know, I wish I was. I, <laughs> are you kidding me? Sounds amazing. It sounds so amazing to be white. I mean, you can just enter the Capitol building and nobody says shit to you. You just walk in. <laughs> they open 10, the door 000, for you. They help 10, you out. 10,000 yeah. of you. And yeah. they let you. And you're, you've already told everybody that you're there to overthrow the government. Like, they already know you're there. It wasn't. You made a Facebook was, event. Yeah. yeah. This was not some undercover operation. Okay. Everybody uh-huh. knew what was going on. They were there to overthrow the government. Like, this was clear. Everyone knew what was going on. <laughs> and they opened the fucking doors. I mean, I'm just imagining to myself, like, if there there was 10,000, 30,000, I don't know how many, tens of thousands of white people. If it was, like, 50 Arabs, we wouldn't have even made it to the if Capitol steps, If it was, steps, like, bro. two Arabs. Oh, my, we would have not have made it to the Capitol ste- We can't even say the word capital. Yeah. Okay? We can't even say it. All right. Like if they stop me at TSA and they're like, sir, what's your name? Amr. Can you spell that? Capital A M. Sir, what did you say? Did you say, say capital. Can you please step to the side over here? You have the right to remain silent. And we can't even say it. And they're out there. They told everybody what they were doing. They told it and they just it's let him true. in. It's unbelievable. And they, and they let him out. They let him in mm-hmm. and they let him out. And then everybody went home. Everybody went home. You know, okay, and then they got some pressure and they started arresting people. But I mean, they, you know, if it was up to them, they wouldn't have arrested anybody. You know, they're just, you know, white. What'd they say about that mother? What'd they say about that guy that killed all the people in Atlanta the other day? Killed all the Asian had Americans? Had a bad day. Cop that came had out a bad said day. he had a bad day. Wasn't there a song? And, and you had a bad day. day. I'm going yeah. sing this song. <laughs> But I mean, we'll it's play like, that in the intro. Yeah, we'll, we'll put that in. Although maybe I not because it seems disrespectful. I don't know. Can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? had a bad day i mean it's unbelievable it's white america or those in power who are exercising racism and discrimination over others also want to be the ones who decide what's racist and what's not racist like Mm -hmm. it never i mean shouldn't the victims be deciding what's racist and not racist not the not the perpetrator i mean this is ridiculous you know but this is whiteness is unbelievably awesome it just seems like the most amazing thing trump trump and obama is the best example of this okay i want you to imagine okay okay i know we're on a podcast people watching this video i want everyone out there i want the two of you all right close your eyes 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 i want you to imagine that when you heard about barack obama back in like 2004 or 6 or whenever he first hit your radar okay i want you to imagine that when you heard about barack obama you heard about this black man who wants to be president that had five kids from three women. 
And he cheated on the first one with the second one. And then he cheated on the third one with a porn star and then paid her $130,000 to shut the fuck up about it. Okay. Okay. Now you can open your eyes. Okay. Now, if this was Barack, you would have never heard of Barack Obama if this was Barack Obama. Okay. He'd be getting people off parking tickets in the south side of Chicago in his little law office. That's all he would be doing, Barack Obama. But that is Donald Trump. Donald Trump is that dude. Do you understand? Do you understand how amazing it is? Okay. Barack Obama had to be like the perfect black guy. Okay. Like just Mm. like Barack Obama is like the Mitt Romney of black people. Okay. Mm. And he became president. And Donald Trump is like the flavor flav of white people <laughs> and he became president That's so true okay i mean do you understand how awesome it is yeah flavor flav was president well, white flavor flav flavorless flav we'll call him flavorless <laughs> unseasoned flav yeah. yeah unseasoned bland flav blanched flav yeah yeah exactly became president yeah so here's the thing though we did have a palestinian brother i need you to recognize on netflix mohammed he's a palestinian brother he had his netflix special out yeah yeah yeah, of course and we have every we have one guy of course the number of white guys the number of white mo do you know how hard mo worked do you know how many times you had to open for Chappelle? do you mind how many times and the material he did on netflix he had worked on it for years and perfected it and then you know there's mediocre white guys with specials all the time. I mean, Moe's not mediocre. Moe's a very established, a renowned, Polished. awarded comedian. And then he finally got one Netflix special. There yeah. are a and lot of And there's like white, white guys with a bunch of them. Yeah. Who have gotten things that they do not deserve in comedy, undoubtedly. And comedy is an industry that has been unfair to people of color, undoubtedly. Yeah, I mean, it's not the only industry unfair to people of color. I mean, right. like, you know, mediocrity among, you know, this is why look this is why white people are so afraid of like equality, equality because they're pretty mediocre and so you know the competing with others is uh it's easier you know, to it's, oppress it's easier to keep yeah. people down yeah, than it is to compete, to compete on an equal yeah, not, playing well, field and they're not good at it i mean they're not good at it. they're not that funny they're not that good at sports there you know i mean just like oh, so, you, so you checked out my youtube page all right that's what's up thanks <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so that's you cool. know they just they just you know i I, I didn't know i figured you might not know who i was but I, clearly you, yeah. you did your research i mean I you think that. like white you think until you think white people didn't know that black people were better at basketball they knew that that's why they tried <laughs> to get they, out of it for long so long separate think, league <laughs> yeah i mean you think they didn't know they were better the the the, the, the baseball players in the negro leagues were hitting like 60 home runs and had no hitters every other day like they didn't want them to, they didn't want them to play with them they, it has it has much less to do with racism that it has to do with like, dude, uh, I don't think I can, I don't think I can compete with these people. Bro, have you if, seen how he dunks? Like, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, no, we cannot let them play. I'm going to have know? to learn how to shoot a three. What are you talking about? I mean, dude, they let one guy play golf and it fucked up golf for like 25 years. I mean, you know, yeah. the, I mean, it, it's, it's, I think, you know, I think they just they took him out compete. recently. You know what I mean? Yeah, they exactly. were like, we're yeah, done. that might have been a conspiracy. I don't know. They might have messed with the GPS and the Hyundai. <laughs> Those, but, uh, these cars these days, you know what I mean? You could hack. Oh, you could hack for sure. For sure. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just like, you know, they can't compete. They can't mm-hmm. compete. Mm-hmm. And the best comedians in look, if you look at it again, the best comedians in America are comedians of color because they're talking about their pain. And, and by the way, as an audience, we expect that from them. Right. So if there was, mm a black comedian on stage uh, and he didn't talk about being black, you as an audience member would feel like you were being deprived of something like you're yeah. like, why isn't he talking about 
what he is. Yeah. White comedians don't really talk about being white because we don't, not only is it maybe not that interesting, but it's also as an audience, we don't expect that. We don't want that yeah. because we don't really, there is no, I mean, you know, not much good comes out of <laughs> expressing white pride, you know, in America. Right. And, and also there's not much pain to it. We want to see pain. Right. As an audience, you want to see authenticity. You know, as a comedian, I've learned that when you get on stage, you have to immediately get yourself into the mindset that you are talking to your a, a room full of your best friends. And so you're going to have to immediately share your deepest, darkest secrets with them. And so your level of level of vulnerability has to be through the roof because they actually want that. And by the way, the crowd, 99 percent of the time wants you to do well i mean look mm -hmm. they're they're there for a comedy show sometimes they've even paid money to see you yeah. so they want you to do well they want to have a good time right and they want that level of experience of um feeling some sort of journey with you and so as a comedian you have to be willing to be very honest and very transparent and extremely vulnerable with your audience and tell them your deepest darkest secrets because that's why they're there that's why they're there and that's the deal you know, and um, using humor along the way. That, to me, is the essence of comedy. That's why it lends itself very well to Palestine, yep. very well to Palestine, you know, talking about that pain and being vulnerable about it and um, and using humor to impart that, you know, it'll hit the audience in different ways because whether they're Arab or Palestinian or white or Jewish or, you know, it'll hit them all in different ways, but it all comes the same. It's all the same delivery for me. I don't change my delivery or what I'm doing based on, who the audience is you know there might be some material some jokes that i know will hit this audience a little bit better or there might be some arabic involved in it so it can only be in front of this audience but my delivery is not the same i don't soften it for anybody you know it is just who i am all the time because that's the deal the deal is i'm getting on stage to tell you my deepest darkest secrets you're going to go along this journey with me and hopefully by the end of it we both feel a little bit better that's the whole idea were you a lawyer or a comedian first I never practiced law. I started doing comedy while I was in law school. And then when I graduated from law school, I said to myself, let me try this comedy thing. And if I fail, I'll go become a lawyer. So um, I- That's a good I, backup in, plan. Yeah. In the beginning I would do, so I graduated from law school and then I would start, um, so I live in Michigan, which is like, you know, the Arab Disneyland. It's the largest Arab community yeah. in America. And so uh, there would always be Arab events around here. And then also Chicago is only a four hour drive and also a huge Arab community. So basically, I would call up organizations around here that were having events. And I would say this is like 2005 or six. And I would say, hey, you guys are having an event. Would you like it? Would you like a comedian? OK. And if they would say yes then I would go. And sometimes I would drive three or four hours and go do a show and come back and I'll do it for free. So I could start to get my name out a little bit in the community. And because, you know, I just needed to practice, you know, I just needed to, you know, cause as, as Michael knows, there is no experience or practice other than actually getting on a stage and having actual live people in front of you. Because until that point, you don't know if you're good or not. I mean, you can, yeah. if you play an instrument, you can just play a recording of it and listen back to it and say, okay, let me fix that. Let me, if you sing the same thing, but um, comedy is different. You need live people to see how the, this stuff is hitting. So I did that. And then um, eventually and I, I was just working odd jobs to make ends meet. And I was living in very low rent places. I mean, I, mean, I, had, I had a law degree. From, I, I mean, I, you know, 
graduate. I, I went to one of the top law schools in the country. I was like, you know what? Let me try this thing. So then somebody paid me 50 bucks for a show. Then somebody paid me 50 bucks and dinner. And then they would give me like a hotel room. And then somebody paid me 100 bucks. And then I started asking for money. And, I've, you know, the first time somebody handed me a check for $500 for a comedy show, I was like, man, I am going to be rich. <laughs> <laughs> amazing um because i was like how's that going because i was like i'm gonna do like 500 of these a year and this is what i'm gonna do so uh but you know now uh fortunately i get paid a lot more than 500 dollars a show and but arabs still don't totally understand that it's a profession you know so like <laughs> yes. i'll go to I'll go to a, a, a show, I'll do a lot of community events. So let's say it's a banquet for like some Arab uh, organization, you know, and I'll yeah. go do their event. And uh, at, the, at the end of the event, the guy who organized the event will hand me a check, let's say for $3,000, you know, hand me a check. He'll hand me it. And while he's handing me a check for $3,000, he'll say, so, uh, so what's your real job? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, dude, you just you just gave me three thousand dollars. This is not my pocket money. You know, this is like this is my job, you know. And they still don't totally get that. But um, uh, it, it is. Do your uh, parents uh, get it at least? When I bought a house and a car, they got it. Yeah, when I bought a house and a car, <laughs> yeah. they got it. Yeah, they people see my results. Mom, yeah, my mom. Yeah, well, you know, immigrant parents and Arab parents especially are they're very results oriented. Mm -hmm. You know, your job is a way two things prestige and money okay this is the idea okay now the prestige thing i don't think i've convinced my parents of that yet on the comedy <laughs> front. although you know i mean when they walk around palestine with me and people stop me and want to take pictures my parents start to be like oh, okay maybe you know that's maybe cool they, maybe some people are following him and you know like all that kind of stuff or they see that i get you know hundreds of thousands of likes or views they go okay you know people you know and they'll you know, like somebody shared your video with me the other day. I'm like, all right, thanks. And, and you know, because my, you know, they're in all these WhatsApp groups, just like every other Arab mom and dad. Uh, you know, luckily the financial part of it, you know, you're, you know, if you hit enough in comedy, whatever it is, um, and you're lucky enough to make a living from it, you know, there's really no better life. The first time I saw you was at a NAMA lunch, I think, in Chicago. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, this was like many, many, many years ago, and All I forget right, the year, but, okay. <laughs> but I do remember that you made a joke, and I still remember this joke to this day, oh, no. about how every Palestinian mother tells people that her son is a doctor, even if they just have an MBA. <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's worse than that. I say, you know, <laughs> it's worse than that. You know, it's, I, I tell the joke, you know, I, I, I say Arab moms exaggerate a little bit. So you ask... An Arab mom, what does your son do? And she says, uh, he, oh, he's a doctor. And mm. I say, oh, okay, okay, cool. What's his specialty? Well, he does not really have a specialty. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Where does he go to medical school? Well, uh, he does not really go to medical school yet. He is 11, but he's going to be a doctor <laughs> uh, one day, you know. Right. Little exaggeration. Just a little. Yeah. We Arabs, we exaggerate about everything except palestine we have not exaggerated about no, that that's all true <laughs> that shit is true uh, okay we exaggerate about a lot of other shit that's all true all I'm, hasbro is gonna do is clip the part where you said we exaggerate, right. we exaggerate about, everything. about everything that's right <laughs> i am the black sheep in my family because i am the one lawyer out of all doctors and uh, i was a huge disappointment to my family by doing mm. that
and I'm I'm the one comedian yeah, among lawyers. Oh, wow. Well, I, I was saying, and, you know, that is something that is not understood in our, you know, we, we understand professions that are, for some reason, Arabs, they value the professions that are like globally transferable because mm -hmm. they figure, you know, we're all going to move back one day and may, maybe we will. Yeah. So like doctor is transferable, engineer is transferable. No, but lawyer isn't. You know, they never but, thought lawyer was. Now they're getting into it more now. They side note, I did literally transfer it because I practice in France. Yes, <laughs> that's right. That's right. But, you know, they they just don't they don't, they don't see it. that. And so yeah. um, now they're getting more into the lawyer thing. They're understanding it like we, we need more lawyers, need more journalists, need more artists. You know, and that's just a function of a community being here a little bit longer. I mean, doctors are Arabs who made their parents proud. Engineers are Arabs who disappointed their parents in some sure. way or another. Uh, lawyers are Arabs who confuse their parents. They're like, you know, why do you want to be a lawyer? We don't understand, you know. You're going to help the drug dealer? Like, you know, this is all the, for some reason, everything always comes back to drug dealers. Somebody you're going to just help the drug dealer get out of prison, you know, like, no, it doesn't matter what everything is. You know, if I show my mom, she, I have a lot of cash in my pocket. She goes, you saw your drug dealer. No, you're dealer. <laughs> everything for some reason, they're obsessed with drug dealers. They just don't understand things, but it, it's, it's obviously changing. So now here in Dearborn, you know, all the best lawyers here are Arab American and we have a, a plethora of talent. But, uh, you know, the, the first immigrant parents, they didn't get that. It was own a business, become a doc. You own a business, your kid become a doctor. That's the pinnacle. That's the mountaintop. And a lot of people did that. A lot of people did that. But I think Palestinians in particular have this fierce obsession with education. We do have one of the world's highest literacy rates. We yes. are education obsessed. And I think it's interesting to see how even in the diaspora, we have really maintained that commitment to maintaining education as a priority. Palestinians are the smartest people on planet Earth. There's no question about that. We have more PhDs per capita than any other people on planet Earth. And, you know, what is the explanation for this? Is it that we're just, you know, genetically smarter? Is it that we are related to Jesus? Is it like any of these things? And, you know, no, I don't believe in any of that. I'm not, you don't believe in like eugenics or anything. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe in that. But, but I do think it is because we don't have plan B. Yeah. Like, you know, most Palestinians uh, who, you know, because we're a refugee population around the world, there was not this notion of like, OK, I came to this new country and if I fuck up, I can go back home. It didn't work like that. You had to make it work. And so this sort of is like proof of human potential that if people are really pushed to their potential and they push themselves because they know there might not be any other alternative, they really can achieve anything, become PhDs and doctors. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, we're sort of proof of that. And we work very hard and uh, we never go on vacation. It's a direct product of our refuge and dispossession. And also part of is we also happen to be a pretty intellectual and educated society before Israel came in and took. Our yeah. Land, you know, right. there's this notion that. Oh, the Arabs were just a bunch of peasants and farmers. And that's not true. I mean, yes, we had peasants and farmers, but the people that were kicked out of our major metropolitan areas like Yaffa and Haifa and Akka and Lid and Ramli. And a lot of these people were educated, intellectual. My grandfather, my parent, my dad's parents were both teachers. OK, uh, my mom's dad was an agricultural specialist whose job it was was he was educated in agriculture and he would go to arab villages surrounding akka and help them figure out their like agricultural strategy for the season i mean we're talking about edu an educated civilization and uh, this is another reason they have they have been very bad at just like getting rid of us you know but uh, a lot of it comes out of the necessity as well
So let's talk about Echaduha Mafrusha, because that's really the main reason why we uh, wanted to have you on today. You made this video last summer. It went yeah. viral. Echaduha Mafrusha literally means that they took it furnished in Arabic. And of course, it's referring to the Zionist takeover of Palestine, which goes beyond the ethnic cleansing, land theft, and theft of physical buildings like houses, businesses, and infrastructure that was carried out by the European Jewish settlers in Palestine, but it goes even deeper into the theft of the indigenous Palestinian culture, our food, music, language, to the renaming of streets and towns with new Hebrew names, and also the theft of Arabic words. So can you tell us a little bit about the idea for the video, what its reception was like? Was there anything that surprised you about how it was received? I myself, when I saw it, I laughed and I cried and I laughed and I cried again because I just felt all the emotions all at once. I, I felt so sad, but I felt so... I was so amused by how you took such a deep history and so many different layers of cultural and physical theft and that you just condensed it into like a few minutes. Yeah, well, uh, thank you, first of all. And um, look, Echaduha Mafrushi is something that my mom has always said to me and said to us, you know, it's Echaduha Mafrushi. You know, my mom was born in Akka, in the old city of Akka. They had a house right in the old city. She was literally born in that house. My grandfather, like I said, her dad was an agricultural specialist. He worked in that city. He, he was born in that city too. And they were uprooted, you know, they were uprooted and from an urban area. And so now when she goes back, she sees the same city because Akka, especially the old city, has been pretty much unchanged. You know, modernized in a few ways, pretty much unchanged. But, you know, but many of the people displaced and replaced with other people. And, you know, this is the definition of Echaduha Mafrushi. Israel is a lot more than ethnic cleansing which is a terrible thing in and of itself. It was ethnic replacement. I mean, they literally moved into our grandparents' houses. Le literally. Literally. Yeah. You know, it's not like, you know how when a white girl says literally and it's not literally? <laughs> literally. Okay. I was literally blacked out. Yeah, how, how when they say, I was literally going to die. Like, yeah. you know, no, you weren't. But no, they literally are living in our houses. I mean, like, fucking literally. Like, uh, uh, I was, I didn't include this in the Echadua Mafrushi. So I watch a lot of TV, you know, because as, as Michael knows, comedians watch a lot of TV and we really don't have much to do otherwise. So I watch a lot of TV and there's a show on TV called uh, House Hunters. Ever watched this show? Yeah. Sure. House Hunters, it's a half an hour show and they will bring somebody on who's looking for a house and they're with a real estate agent and they look at a few houses and then, you know, they pick a house and this all happens in half an hour. They look at three houses and they, you know, they pick their house. Okay, so I'm watching this uh, this show one day and House Hunters also has a, um, a spinoff version of House Hunters called House Hunters International. Okay. Wow. So where now they're not just looking for houses in America, they're looking for houses in other parts of the world. On comes a House Hunters International Jerusalem. No. Okay. House Hunters International Jerusalem. Yeah. And uh, she comes on the show. I forget her name, but she's a nice, nice Jewish lady from uh, New Jersey. And she's uh, wants to immigrate to Israel. And uh, so she looked for a house in Jerusalem. Okay. And they have her going around and she's looking in, in West Jerusalem mostly. And so there's these different parts of West Jerusalem called the German colony and called Bekaa and 
all these places. And, you know, so they would say, you know, now she's looking for a house in Bucca, which was a pre-war neighborhood. You know, whatever the fuck that means. I don't even know what this means, okay? But a pre-war neighborhood, which is, there were all these euphemisms for Palestinians used to live there. Okay, yeah. All these different ways to say Palestinians used to live there. Um, she would walk in and she would say, wow, you know, you walk in and the, 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 the windows are arched and, and the, uh, there's the original like Arab style tiles on the ground. And she would say, wow, you know, the, these windows are so authentic <laughs> and, uh, this is the original tile, you know, and I'm watching this thing and I'm like, man, I know the motherfuckers who used to live in this house. Like I know. <laughs> Who used to live in this house? They live in like New Jersey now. Like I know who I know who they are. You know they live in Orlando. Like I know this family. You know, and it was just so nonchalant and so, yeah. you know, I mean, and they would just say, you know, this house was built in the twenties. Yeah, well, who fucking built it? Who who lived? Who built it? Who was who there in there? the twenties? You know, yeah. and just this complete, right? This complete, uh, uh, complete erasure of, of who we were, and so. This happens all the time, right? Where um, Palestinians have to sort of prove and reprove that we were there. Mm -hmm. You know, we were there and we lived there and we had this long civilization. And so like in the Akhaduha Mafrushi video, I use this example from the show Homeland. Yeah. So I, wa I watch Homeland, which is a show about the CIA chasing terrorists around the world and different seasons, there are different nationalities, but in the first few seasons, they were Arabs. And um, they are uh, chasing this Osama bin Laden type character named Abu Nazir around Beirut. Okay. And I'm watching the show, man. And I'm like, and I, I really like the show. Okay. I mean, I understand it has a lot of like racist undertones and it's really, but I just, I kind of yeah, like it's the super show. problematic yeah, and super racist. Problematic, and you know, but I have, but you know, CIA yeah. propaganda basically. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, 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 good TV. Go but ahead. I mean, it was like good TV, good acting. You know, <laughs> so, so I watched it. So I watched it, and uh, and so they're chasing Abu Nazir through the streets of Beirut. That's the story, okay? And yeah. I've been to Beirut, okay? And I'm watching this episode. I'm like, man, this is like, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the scene. I'm like, man, oof, man, I was there. I mean, this looks amazing. And uh, and then after the show, I'm thinking to myself, man, it is so weird. You know, I can't imagine how they let an American show about chasing an Arab terrorist into Beirut to film. Like, I, the Lebanese government did this. Doesn't make any sense. So after the show, there's like a behind the scenes feature in the like, you know, like they have those DVD extras. So there's like a behind the scenes feature on Showtime right after the show. And the producer comes on and goes, you know, well, yeah, you know, we're shooting this uh, Abu Nazir Beirut scene. And of course, we couldn't get into Beirut. So um, we went to Israel and we shot this in Haifa. And I'm like, oh, man. And so uh, and he even says in the thing, you know, we were looking for a city that's on the Mediterranean. And he says literally with an Arab face. <laughs> and so and so, you know, it just like it means if you call up the Israeli film ministry and you're like, hey, we need an Arab looking city. They're like, yeah, we have three, four. How many do you need? Do you need just one? We have many of these, you know, like because uh, there was fucking people there. OK, there are people there. Yeah. And they sing our songs and they eat our food yes. and they say our words, you know, because, again, you know, this whole people without people uh, land without a people for people without a land. This is a fucking lie. This whole like we, we uh, made the desert bloom. This is the APAC thing. And then we they say the that we came bloom. afterwards. Right, right, right. And we can right. We're the foreigners. 
hey, let me tell you something about Jews. We don't really do manual labor that well. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we're not really like outside people. I get like yeah. skin cancer and stuff. So I'm going to go ahead and say that, like, <laughs> it's not that's not us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 really unbelievable. And, you know, I don't know. I'm not a psychiatrist. OK, so I don't know if this is on the part of Zionists. Do they willfully and knowingly know that they're lying and it's just working? So they keep doing it. No. Is there some sort of like delusion there? No, a hundred percent. They believe a, it. At least the early generation knew. I mean, you have the quotes yeah. of like Moshe Dayan saying that we replace every single Palestinian town yes. with an yeah. Israel, with, you know, with a Hebrew name. There's not a single Arabic name that remains. I mean, they were very express at least in terms of the early Zionist leaders, about their intentions to ethnically cleanse the land, to remove the Palestinians. They, they didn't hide any of this stuff. A hundred percent, though. The, and the, I get on, the early one definitely knew. I get online, I make videos that are anti-Zionist, and I get these 14-year-olds who come into my comments and they're like, Palestine never existed. And I'm like, you don't, you're not an authority. You no, know, like, do you know what my mom and dad's favorite line was when we were growing up? Because I said our so. House? <laughs> no, oh, it's even better. Listen, listen. You have to understand, Palestinian parents, especially educated Palestinian, because everything's about politics. You don't get simple answers like "because I said so." That's yeah. not how. This is my this is my parents' answer all the time. <laughs> they would say, uh, you know, they're talking about our house. They would go, you know, we came to America, and America is a democracy. This is not a democracy. Okay. <laughs> Talk about our house. <laughs> that's, what, that's what they would say. So there was always like an educational element, an educational and historical element. Everything they did, even when they were telling us to shut the fuck up. You know, we live in a beautiful democracy. This, this, this here, 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 not a democracy. Did this they define the political system that existed in your house? Yeah, exactly. They're very clear <laughs> that it was a dictatorship. Yeah. Or they're very clear what it was not. This is not a democracy. Right. But mom, I think, what the, you think, out there you think, out there you think, here, not the democracy, you know, everything with Palestinians is always elevated, you know, it's always a little elevated because 70 years fucks you up, you know, 70 years mm. creates a lot of fucked up psychological problems. Let's talk a little bit, no, so you didn't, okay, ask, you, ask me, ask me another, let's talk a little bit about the reception, the so, questions. yes, the reaction, yes, tell me about the reaction, well, I mean, you know, reactions came from all over the world pretty swiftly, Yes. And look, I try in my comedy to express the feelings and sentiment of my people from my point of view. It doesn't mean I'm always right, but it just is like my experiences from growing up with my parents and my grandparents and hearing all these stories. And, uh, you know, reactions came from all over the world. I think within a couple of days, it had a couple hundred thousand views. And then, you know, it got up to between Instagram and Facebook, it got up to like a million and a half pretty quickly. And it was being shared uh, everywhere and it was being like you know quoted on arab tv and that kind of stuff and look i knew when i made it that it because that it was probably one of my videos that would hit a little harder um because it really was coming at a specific time you know this was like israel was talking about annexing the west bank there was all kinds of stuff that was going on in the summer but i didn't think it would hit that hard you know i just didn't okay. think it would hit that hard and um and the reactions were, you know, from Palestinians, it was like, thanks for telling our story from other Arabs the same way. And then, of course, you get your regular hate mail from from Zionists who are like, you know, Palestine never existed. Uh, 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 it was well, you the spoke to that 14 year old, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was the British who built everything. Uh, you know, it, it's very similar to American white denial. Yes. Very similar. Right. So, you know, we. When we grow up in this country, if you go to school in America, 
you learn a whole chapter in American history called Manifest Destiny. Yes. Okay? Which is um, manifest. Okay, Laura, let's do a, a, a law school thing where we break down what words mean. Okay, so manifest as an adjective means obvious. Something is manifest, so it's obvious. Destiny is something that God wants you to do. Okay, and so we learned in school that it was obvious that God wanted white people to expand West as much as they could, no matter what the cost. Okay, it sounds like pretty religiously fundamentalist stuff to me. I mean, it sounds like some ISIS, like some Weisis stuff. Okay, but and we learn about it in school like it's normal, like totally normal. Okay, we learn about the Trail of Tears as like a blip. You know, even slavery is a blip in American yeah. history. The evidence of that delusion of the the okay, so the delusion of white people is that they always think they were there first. Yeah, okay, this is what they always believe. They always think they were there first, and um, you know that's only true in like Europe. You know, like it's not true anywhere else. Okay. People it's came not true from in America, America, but yes. white people are the origin. Yeah, it's not true in America. It's not true in, uh, you know, like when you see, like when I see French people and British people being really xenophobic and racist, I'm like, man, that is fucked up that they're racist. And then I'm like, you know, but at least they're from there. Yeah. You know, like, like I look at French people and British people I'm like, well, yeah, they're really racist and that's fucked up. And But, you know, at least they're from there. You know, at least they're like when they're like, no one should come to my country. They're like, at least that part is true. Right. You know, like they're at least they're from there. But white people are not from here. Like yeah. they're not from here. That's why they do ancestry tests. OK, because yeah. they're not from here because they're trying to figure out where they're from because they forgot. OK, so they're not from here. And the evidence of that is still around everywhere. So like, totally. you know, just like Palestine. So again, you know, Palestine, people that you have, you have Israeli Jews living in places that have Arabic names, or they just changed a letter to make it sound Hebrew, but these are all Arabic names. And, and in America, so, you know, like in America, we have 50 states and only like 15 of them have white names and they were all named after shit in England anyway, New Jersey, New York, New Hampshire, or named after Kings and Queens, Maryland, Georgia, Carolina. Okay. Um, um, all the rest of the states have Native American names or Spanish names because they already had fucking names. Because right. guess what? In America, Echaduha Mafrushi too. Okay. Yeah. So, so, you know, they, they, everything had a name. Okay. I mean, you know, people think the most racist state in America is Mississippi. That's a Native American name. You know, like white people, Davy Crockett and all these motherfuckers, they went to all these places. They found natives. and They're like, what do you call this place? And the natives were like Tennessee, Mississippi, Kentucky. And they're like, all right, well, then that's what we'll call it, too. It already has a name. Okay? <laughs> Sounds good. So, you know, so you guys call it that. OK, because that's how lazy they were. They don't want to come yeah. up with names. I mean, they were so lazy. They didn't even want to come up. You know, Southwest America's all Mexico. OK. California, Nevada, Arizona, Colorado. These are all fucking Spanish names. Baja, California. You know, I mean, there's only one place, I guess, that they that they felt were lazy. They didn't want to name it. So they said, okay, we'll call this one New Mexico. Okay, that's how lazy, <laughs> that's how lazy they were. And you still see it to this day. Delu the delusion. I mean, imagine, imagine the delusion it takes for Donald Trump to stand in Texas and say Mexicans should not be allowed to live in a place called El Paso mm. or San Antonio. Or they can't come into California and go to San Diego. <laughs> they name those fucking places. Of course <laughs> they can live there. 
Did y'all see the recent video of an Israeli guy in Oakland telling an Asian person to get out and go back where he came from? Right. It's like everybody in the comments is like, bro, where's your accent from? Sometimes I think to myself, man, I, it's hard to be a Zionist, man. It's really hard. I mean, OK, you got the guns and the tanks and everything, but I mean, you got to come up with new shit every single day. Like, I mean, it's not that you don't have the truth. You know, it's pretty easy to be a Palestinian. You know, you're just like, OK, you learn a couple of things. You learn where your grandparents tell you that's the truth. And like, you know, OK, you, know, yeah. you just keep saying it. This is, by the way, this is why we're really bad for the most part at like political organization and media and like informational campaigns and propaganda, because we uh, it's not that we're not smart enough to do those things. It's that we just go. But we're telling the truth. Why would we have to do those things? <laughs> That's so true. But we're, you know, we're, we're telling the truth. This and, is all and, true. But, you know, then other people. But then you're like, no, I know. I know we're telling the truth. Yeah. But we got to We got to amplify it. We got to work on it. You know, we got to message it and package it. People are like, I know, but this is the truth. This is something that is like, I, it's just the Echadu Amafrushi thing is not just Palestine. Pa- you know, but Palestine is still the one living example of it mm-hmm. where the people, unlike, unfortunately, natives in this country, where the people and the culture and the history has not been totally erased yet. And so we can still do something about it and we can still highlight it in a way that's sort of continuous. Temporary. You know, I always tell people you don't have to study apartheid and Jim Crow and all that kind of shit in history books. You just go to Palestine. It's yeah. like the living museum of all this stuff. I mean, it's like there. I mean, like like they literally have different roads for people and they yeah. literally have different buses for people. And they like yeah. it's like fucking literal. It's not hyperbolic. It is actually happening. You know, it's actually a literally happening. that I won't have to edit out. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, I mean. You know, this is the idea of an expression of our civilization and our culture. And I'll be putting out another video soon that's all about Jesus and about how he's Palestinian and trying to put an end to this discussion and this debate. Thank um, you. Talking about that. And that'll be a, a little bit longer video. It'll be, it'll be a short movie because I couldn't stop writing the, the script when I when I put it together. But hopefully it'll be interactive enough where people don't get tired of it. But it'll probably be like eight or nine minutes long. But it'll all be about why Jesus is Palestinian. And oh, we uh, need that video so bad because yeah. I and, put that up during Christmas. Yeah, Jesus is Palestinian, and I just yeah. got and, flooded and, and, with the Zionists. Uh, oh yeah, no, they freak out. It's funny because here's the funny thing about, and this is goes back to Echaduha Mafrushi, is that. I so uh, all the time I say Jesus Palestine. I mean, my book is full of references. Jesus Palestinian. He was a freedom fighter, fought against occupation. He's very Palestinian in that way. And yes, they did call that land Palestine when he was living there. And they called it other things too. Okay, they called it other things too. Some people called it the land of Israel. Some people called it Canaan. Some people called it yeah. whatever, Judea, Samaria. That all these different. Names. But Palestine was one of the names. It was used in Herodotus's history, four hundred yeah. years before Jesus. Okay, so. It, it was one of the names of the land. And, you know, things can have a lot of names. You know, like, I, th- I think Sean Combs has like five names, you know. Easily. And, you Easily. know, he has all those names at the same time, and he answers to all of them. You know, it's right. no big deal. Things can have a lot of names. It's not a big deal. Okay. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny how um, Zionists never gave a shit about the history of Jesus until we Palestinians started saying he's Palestinian. Bingo. Then they lost their minds. 
Yeah, like, well, uh, yeah, he is a Jew. Yes, of course. We all know that. Everybody understands yeah. that he's Jewish. Guess what? You can be Palestinian and Jewish. It's not a big deal. Okay, you can be both, you know. And no, but he was an Arab. Yeah, I know he was an Arab. There weren't Arabs back then. I'm not saying he was an Arab. I'm saying he was Palestinian. Yeah, but he was Jewish. We already went over that point. He's, right. We understand. <laughs> you know, there are still native Jews that live in Palestine today. Yeah. Yep. You know, uh, but, you know, you know, whatever. Okay, like, shut up, dude. I mean, but by the way, I by the way, you know, if you look at the history really simply, I mean, they kicked out, you know, the, there were Jews living in Palestine. By the way, when Jews came to Palestine, even if you think the Bible is a history book, okay, when the Jews came to Palestine, guess what? There was people there. There's stories in the Bible about the people they battled who were there. You know what some of their names were? Philistines. Okay, it comes from the word Palestine, Palestine, Philistines, you know, it's all related to each other. Philistines, Canaanites, you know, these people, yeah. like, they were there. Okay, I mean, uh, it's like unbelievable. And like Jerusalem, even, Jerusalem was a city before the Jews got there. Yeah, they mm -hmm. built it, and but it also it was even before the Jews got there in the Bible. Okay, and so, like, it, it, the notion that there is uh, an exclusive right for one group of people over the land of Palestine is a total delusion man it's delusional and and this is uh, all is about and and here's the big here's the big thing for all the zionists that might want to listen to this thing uh jews were in palestine for a long time and then um the romans tried to kick them all out and they kicked a lot of them out after the bar kokhba revolt this is like in the year 130 a.d they kicked a lot of them out but they didn't get all of them okay they didn't get all of them there were many Jewish tribes and communities that remained in Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, and especially in the northern part of Palestine, Galilee, and even some in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. They didn't leave. They didn't leave, okay? They stayed there. Jerusalem was cut off to them for a long time. Then the Muslims came in the in the sixth and seventh century. They actually opened up Jerusalem back to the neighboring Jewish communities that were there. Okay. And then a lot of those Jewish communities over time became Christian and then either remain Christian or some of them became Muslims. Okay, which means what? Which means the descendants of the original Jewish tribes of Palestine are a group of people today who call themselves Palestinians. Bingo. Yes. Okay. Exactly. So I mean, like, what the fuck are we talking about at the end of the day? I mean, you know, people want to go 3,000 years ago. You know, that's my Shimon Perez accent. You know, he always, Shimon, he, everything was always deep. And they can't, they say are like French people, six thousand years ago. And uh, like, what are we talking about here? Well, this is why we always then go back to talking about Israel is not something about Jewish history or it's not something, it is simply a European colonial white supremacist project. By the way, there's been many like it in the history of the world. It's not that unique. Okay, and you know it's a settler colonial project, like America, like the French in Algeria, who, who both came to very different results. Okay, and it's not the first time. It's like South Africa, like Australia. You know, this is shit has happened a lot in history, and sometimes it works and they stay around, and sometimes they don't. But you know, colonists are never totally happy where they are this is why the israelis i don't know if you've ever been to palestine i don't know laura if you've ever been to palestine i have i went once well when you go to palestine you um first of all you know in jerusalem the old city of jerusalem which everyone says is the center of the problem 
Arabic is still the language you speak. Okay, if you don't want to get like cheated in the store or you, don't, you <laughs> just want to like get a hookup somewhere, it's been the lingua franca for fifteen hundred years. I mean, like seventy years of some foreigners from Europe has not changed any of that. In Akka, especially where my mom is from, okay, you walk on in Akka now is part of uh, Israel, and so when you when you uh, uh, are walking on the sh- on the uh, in, in the harbor of Akka and yep. Something that always pisses off Palestinians whenever we're there is we see like a million Israeli flags. Okay, yes, Israeli I knew you were going to say that. That's exactly every, what I was going to say. Okay, That's like exactly it. They put feet, flags in between flags. Flag. They put flags in the water on rocks. Oh. There's flags in the middle of nothing. And it's, it's, it's a very right. creepy psychological reality where you become acutely aware that the Israeli knows that he is a foreigner in that land. Mm. Right. I, I, and I used to when I, I used to take it personally. I'm like, man, they put up all these flags to piss me yeah. off. And I am. And, and then I said, you know what? No, it's for them. Those flags are it's for them. Those flags are not for me. They're for them to remind themselves that they belong there. So they, they put up these flags. Like, OK, that's right. This is where I'm from. And so they put, you know, we don't need that. We have our names and we have our food and we have the names of our villages. And like we have our history. And my grandmother tells me about it. I don't need a fucking flag you know, for, you know no i can I tell you where my grandma was These born i can tell you where my great grandma was born i can tell you information right. going back generations and right, i'm sure you right. can too but yes those flags are for them yes for them you know and that's what i realized you know i mean this you know and then as much as they try to like you know but eventually the land swallows you up like the culture of the land swallows you up so, like, by the way, in the 60s and 70s, Israelis were not singing Arabic music because they were still trying to be European and all this kind of stuff. The whole Arabic music thing is pretty new in the past 20 years. I mean, they start having, like, fucking concerts in Jerusalem, outdoor concerts where they're singing, like, Farid Latrash and Im Kathum and all these, like, classical Arab shit. Because, you know, guess what? I mean, guess what? They're right smack dab in the middle of the Arab world. I mean, you know, hey, what are you going to do? Eventually, the culture eats you up, all right? Uh, because you weren't able to get rid of everybody as much as you tried. And, and so eventually, guess what? The land speaks Arabic, so they start speaking Arabic. The land sings Im Kiltum, so they start singing Im Kiltum. The land eats hummus, so they start eating hummus. You know, I mean, you know, you can try, but eventually the land overtakes you. And um, this is what's happening. I mean, you know, it, you know, in that Echaduha Mafrushi video, I showed the video of the Farid Latrash song and then a Jewish singer yes. sing it side by side. I and mean, it's like creepy when you see them next to each other. It's like this is creepy. what they do. Yeah. This is what they do. I mean, if you're in Palestine, which is like, you know, a half hour flight from Cairo, the sort of center of Arab art for the last hundred years, you know, that's going to be your center, too. You can't pretend. I mean, they, they can pretend, you know, like Israel tries to like they play in like the European soccer leagues and they try to like be part of like the European cups and all that kind of stuff. Like, OK, I mean, you can play that game for a little bit. But like when you actually come home and put your head down. You know, you're not in a land that is speaking, you know, German or French or Russian. You know, you're in a land that is speaking Arabic, you know, that she's asking you, like, when you're going to get married and she's bringing you lemonade that's too sour. And she's like, you know, doing all the shit that Arabs do. And that's just the way it is. I was I was in a bus in Jerusalem a few years ago and I were on a bus from Jerusalem to Nazareth. And I looked out the window and there was these two older Jewish guys, a car, OK? two white European Jewish guys, and they look like they were having a conversation with each other. 
Okay. And they're having conversation. And while they're having a conversation with each other, they're throwing their hands in the air, yelling and screaming, and they're eating sunflower seeds and they're throwing the shells out the window. And I said, these people are becoming us. This is uh-huh. we they're becoming us. They didn't do that shit in Romania or Hungary or wherever they came from. That's not where they didn't do that shit over there. They did that here. Yeah. Here. They learned that here. Like, come on, man. You can, you can, you can, uh, but eventually, because guess what? I mean, like, again, means fully furnished, okay? And, it, and, you know, it's also something we say, like, when somebody, when somebody is going to buy a, an apartment, you know, or rent an apartment, we say, are you going to rent the apartment or you're going to rent yeah. it furnished or not furnished? And if you rent a furnished apartment, guess what? In the beginning, the couch is there and you're like, man, I wouldn't have bought that couch. Maybe, you know, I don't really like that couch. But guess what? You take a few naps on that couch. You find out that it's pretty comfortable. Your body starts to conform to the couch. You know, you just start chilling on that couch. Maybe you start to have then you have sex on the couch a few times. You know, like now it's your couch. Yeah. Your couch, even though that couch was there way before you. And then you start talking like that couch, defending that couch, even if you hated that couch. Like, that's it. It's part of you now. You really can't do anything about it. That's what's happening to them. And eventually, I guess, I'm not a psychiatrist, eventually it's all going to come to a head, I guess, where they like, you know, or maybe they'll just eventually become us. Maybe like the whole solution to this shit is going to be like, oh, yeah, I guess we're Arabs. And they just like eventually become, you know, just sort of like Arabize themselves. You know, I don't know. But um, they're definitely becoming us. Because Echadu HaMafrushi. There's, 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 there is consequences to the Echaduhem Afrushi for them too, which Mm -hmm. means you're going to become one of us eventually. Example of sort of absorbing and even like monetizing native culture can be seen in the United States where, you know, I'm a white settler colonialist. I know that. And so like, I see like, for example, the Redskins, obviously, which by the way, Mm -hmm. there are videos of white settlers dressed in native attire, talking to native people, telling them why it's not offensive. You know what I mean? Shouts out to those people. There's other, there's other like products that were native words that we sell now as capitalist icons, like the Dodge Dakota, Jeep Cherokee, Toyota Tacoma, Ford Apache. Those are just to name a few, but the list goes on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Course. For sure. Let, I, I wanted to go back to the, the, the food thing, because I think that's the thing that keeps coming up over and over and over. This this idea of an Israeli cuisine, which has been taken from Palestinian cuisine. I did a little bit of research into what the Zionist encounter with Palestinians was when the first wave of Zionist immigration to Palestine, the, the early 1900s. And there are two researchers, Ranta and Mendel, who are from the UK and Israel, and they describe that uh, a phenomenon whereby uh, Arab-Palestinian food culture was marginalized, blurred, and reinterpreted as belonging to the Zionist settlers or as being brought to Israel by the Mizrahi Jews. So, of course, you're familiar with this, Amr. They always say this. They say, oh, no, no, well, the hummus isn't from you guys. It's not from the Palestinians. We took it from the Mizrahi Jews who were, you know, in the Middle East. They were in Yemen, Iraq. But the reality is, of course, these are foods that did not actually even exist in the countries where the Mizrahi Jews came from. But they try to sort of blur the lines and 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 and, and say that it's essentially anything but Palestinian. Mm-hmm. 
And even right? in their lie, yeah. they admit that they took it from someone. For sure, because even if it was Iraqi, even if it was Yemeni, that wouldn't make it then Israeli. That would that that that's another form of erasure that would be happening. But the reality is, it, it isn't even those things. First of all, you're right. I mean, those you know cuisines are regional, and you know Morocco and Yemen are far from Palestine. And guess what? They eat different food. They eat different yeah. food, and you know some of it's similar. But I live here in Michigan, where we have Lebanese restaurants and Yemeni restaurants, and guess what? The experience is very different if you go into either restaurant. Okay, so they eat different foods, but this is a very elevated, or maybe not that elevated, version of like I have a black friend. You know, this is what this is what they're doing. You know, they're doing like you know we we have we have Arab friends. You know, they they're the ones who brought that. Like, but you know, it's real again. It's not that hard. Go to a uh, Israeli homeless place in. Um, West Jerusalem, and then go to a Palestinian homeless place in Ramallah. And guess what? You know, they taste pretty much the same. And guess what? The Ramallah guy's been there for 200 years, and the Tel Aviv guy just got there. So, you know, it, you figure it out. Because, uh, you know, they are copying our home. We're not copying their homeless that they brought from Yemen or Iraq. I can tell you that. They're copying the 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 food of the land and you know of course they are and, you know and they use this israeli couscous you know we have a word for that in arabic you know um it's called meftul you know israeli couscous i mean they they um they are uh repackaging things and coming up with any sort of way to do it but you know again it's the la the land eventually just takes over you know this is the this is the food the land was putting out for hundreds, thousands of years before you got there. You really can't do anything about it. So the most you can do is pretend like you invented it or maybe some of your Arab friends that you brought over who you didn't really want there in the first place, by the way, who you know you brought over invented it. But yes, you're right, Laura. It's all a big lie. Again, you know, people always, you know, it's amazing to me how people want to overanalyze this shit. You know, it's real simple. It's not that hard. <laughs> to figure out i mean it's like it's it's to me it's like always you know people always want to overcomplicate palestine cnn and national geographic channel they do like specials about what did jesus look like yeah let's do a whole anthropological thing and figure out what he looked like, like dude wait a minute we know where he's from right okay yes we know where he's from there's still motherfuckers living there so you can kind of just go there and see what the people there look like. And, you know, maybe it's a little bit different, but it's, that's basically what he looked like. Okay. It's like basically what he looked, you don't have to do all this kind of, but this is the extent people go to, to erase Palestine as if like, okay, Jesus was there 2000 years ago. The Israelis are there today. And like, there was nothing in between. Right. <laughs> and like, you know, that's that's the story they try to sell. Yeah. And, you know, like, that's not true. OK. All right. It wasn't. This is not that. You yeah. know, I mean, they love talking about like 2000 plus years ago. But God forbid you bring up an article from 2004. Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> then they're is, like, uh, that's not relevant anymore. It's like, oh, right. word. But the Bible is right. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, it's um, it's uh, it's unbelievable the links but this is what you have to when you're lying yeah. okay it's you olympic have, level mental gymnastics yeah i mean that they you have to really do every have day. to do all this shit and and guess you know you got to respect them you got to stick to it <laughs> you know you gotta stick to it it's like a it's like a guy who lies about cheating on his girlfriend like you gotta stick to it man you can't once you start because you the, the, the cost of the cost of telling the truth is way too high 
it unravels because everything. if you if you tell the truth then that's it your whole like if you're an israeli or a zionist you start telling the truth then that's it man i mean you're like you're, the whole thing falls apart mm-hmm. you know and it's already kind of falling apart anyway but yeah. the whole thing falls apart so you gotta yeah. stick to it you gotta stick to the lie you know they're very disciplined you gotta you, you gotta stick to the lie you know i was she was not with me that night okay i was out of town but your credit card says you were here. I don't care. I don't care about my credit card. That's like that. That's an error. You know, like they're trying, you know, like have you ever watched forensic files? Like Israelis would lose all the cases on those forensic files, you know, like, you know, but we have your DNA. I was not there. Okay. But I mean, you know, the prosecutor is anti-Semitic. Yeah. But we have you, we have you on video. I no, that's not video is anti-Semitic. Yeah. I mean, everything that camera. <laughs> Is anti-Semitic. So, I mean, you know. It's like, sir, it's an Israeli camera. Uh, yeah, right. You got you to stick to it, man. They've been sticking to it. They have been sticking to it. And, in fact, these researchers, Ranta and Mundell, they describe how the first Zionist settlers wanted to resemble the local Palestinian peasants, including drinking and eating like them to replace the Arab Palestinians through the appropriation of their local customs. And in fact, these early Zionists actually justified on many occasions this copying of the local customs as a form of return, not only to the land, but to this historical biblical Jewish custom that the Arabs had preserved. So it's really creepy because they're like, oh, yeah, so this local population has actually preserved what we are coming back to claim. So thanks for doing that. And now we're going to replace you. They had to right? pop off the khakis and change their shoes. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, these researchers ref- refer to this as a process of de-Palestinianization. So the, the notion is that you strip everything of its Palestinianness before you then reclaim it as Israeli. Yeah. So, I mean, I think everything that you said, Ahmed, is so, it's so on point. The one theme that for me is like really striking is this idea that when you're telling the truth, you don't have to work very hard at it. You just, you just say, well, my grandmother made this dish, so that's why I'm eating it. And my grandmother came from Palestine. You know, it's just that it's 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 a, it's a real short, you know, story. It doesn't require all these steps. It doesn't require all of this, like you know, uh, background and history and you know, going back a million years. So, um, on that note, will you share with us before we go some of your favorite food memories from your grandmother, who's older than Israel? Because I always say that our grandmothers are older than Israel yeah. itself, and so Lex. we take our culture and our identity from them. So why don't you share with us a little bit about your favorite memories from your grandparents? Well, so my, my grandmother, actually, my dad's mom, uh, because my grandfather died in 1979. They were in Jordan. She only had my dad and my aunt. And my dad had already moved to America. And then my aunt came to America like in 1982 for a visit. And then she met a guy and she got married here. And so then my grandmother would have been alone in Jordan. And of course, we don't do that kind of stuff. You know, we bring our parents. There is no senior assisted living centers, you know, for Arabs. They just come live with us. So my yeah. grandmother then lived with us for like 20, 23 years before she passed away in 2005. And um, and she, uh, you know, my, my grandmother was, um, my mom's an amazing cook. My grandmother, my, my dad's mom was, you know, wasn't a great cook, but she, there was a few dishes she could, she could uh, uh, knock out. And she loved to make aji. 
Oh, Hijje yeah. Okay. is like, you know, basically a, a thick Arab omelet. It's like, it's like a frittata. It's kind of similar to a frittata. And, it's like um, an omelet pancake. Yeah. And, you know, they, uh, you know, and each grandmother kind of makes it with her own things, you know. And so my grandmother would sometimes put different things in it. But basically it was egg and onion and spices and parsley. And get onion yeah, and spices parsley. and parsley. And um, this was what she would always either, you know, bring to the kitchen when we were all having breakfast on a on a Saturday or Sunday morning. Or so that that would really reminds me of my grandmother in George uh, very much. And then with my mom, you know, I just she used to make all different kinds of stuff. Bamia is the one food that I'm like, really. Are you pro Bamia? Oh, 100 percent pro Bamia. Love oh. Bam. Wow. I hear that's a I'm controversial so subject. so anti. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it is I guess it's not going to work out. Michael. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's not going to work out. It's not going to work out. Um, but there, there is a very serious split on TikTok pro and anti Bamia, by the way. Really? Oh, it's, it's like they come to blows. You know what I mean? People are revoking well, Palestinian cards over this. Yeah. yeah well, look, Bam, Bamia is a staple of Palestinian cuisine. <laughs> um, I would go as far I would go as far as to say that someone who you can not like Bamia. Yes. Yeah. You know, if you don't like Bamia, that's fine. I don't like Bamia. Okay, that's fine. You can it's not hairy. like that's, It tastes like people hair. Have, it's see, furry. This is where what? this is where it's slimy. It starts, okay, so this is where we start to have problems. <laughs> is this is okay? this Bamia slander that we're hearing? <laughs> yeah, this is where we start to have is problems. Is this defamation? I guess here's my here's here's my here's my thing. If you don't like Bamia, that's fine. You know, there could be a lot of reasons you don't like Bamia. The preference, maybe you have a genetic disorder, maybe there's some other reasons you don't. <laughs> you know like what Bamia. the problem with people who don't like Bamia is? They try to convert everyone. Yeah, but if you don't like Bamia and you're Palestinian, my message to you is this: just shut up about it. Okay? I'm you a Bazela. I'm Bazela. One hundred percent. Then be then be pro Bazela. Okay, but you don't need to be anti-Bamia. I mean, you don't like Bamia, that's fine. Just shut up about it. I mean, you know, just keep that as an inside private thought. You don't need to bring down all of Palestinian culture with you because you don't like Bamia. I mean, you don't like Bamia, that's fine. You can not like Bamia if you want to be that kind of person yeah, and you want to make those kinds of terrible choices in life. That's 100%. fine. That's on you. I'm but owning you don't it. need to make I'm a big it deal about it. You can't justify the fur and and the seeds okay, for, let, let and me the just texture make, let, let's just fur. make it really easy okay bamia bamia has a little bit of fuzz on the outside yeah. of it, like a like a peach i'm not okay, wrong like, like a peach now, i don't like peaches either <laughs> okay there's ways that you can deal with this first of all you're supposed you never take fresh bamia and just throw it into a pot of bamia you have to roast off the bamia you, yeah, you have or to, sometimes you can fry off the bamia and the, this the fuzz, fuzziness you have to fry that, the fuzz off the fuzziness then gets removed so people if you're eating fuzzy bamia then you're eating from somebody who obviously doesn't know how to prepare i have the bamia, only that's ever different, eaten fuzzy bamia well, then so that's, then you then that's a different problem okay but all these things can be, i feel like you, know, you shouldn't need a manual the question is this quite simply okay the question yeah. is this quite simply if you care about palestine and your people <laughs> Okay. Don't go there, Ahmed. What? What? Don't go there. What could be gained? Don't. Michael's loving this. Don't what can be gained? This is so funny. By slandering Bambi. 
You know okay. what is gained? If you don't is like it, you I don't now, like it. No, here's what's gained is that I now know that you like Bamya. That's what that's what's gained. Is see, I kind you're of making you're making a judgment about me. See, I don't absolutely now you don't like Bamya. I'm not making a judgment about you. You don't like Bamya. Oh really? Fine. You just no. said I don't like my people. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, no. You just said if I'm you, not trying to no, help Palestine. If you by slandering Bamya. If you don't Do you like think the it, Zionists have uh, care that I'm anti that might be the one I think the Zionists planted this conversation so that it created a dissent between Palestinians well to be <laughs> to be fair you brought it up point of record I actually don't believe that I brought it up but we'll check the tapes <laughs> Bamia is the one food that I'm like really are you uh, pro Bamia you know we're all having a good time have I totally <laughs> discounted the idea that you're a Mossad agent of course not it's totally possible that you are a Mossad agent <laughs> It would now, be a you know, lot. Palestinians, we just tend to think we just tend to think in in conspiratorial terms. And by the way, That's we don't fine. have the best arguments. I mean, like, would the <laughs> undercover Mossad agent be an anti-Zionist Jewish comedian doing a podcast? Probably not. That probably <laughs> would not be the undercover Mossad agent. The undercover Mossad agent would probably be somebody like me. You know, it's much more likely to be me than it is to be you. That's so you know, true. The but undercover the, they pretend to be us. Me, but the right, people they, suspect me. Yeah, they but, pretend to be us all the time. Yeah. They sent the fucking guy to go be like the defense minister of Syria. Syria. Okay, yep. so I mean, you know, so I mean, you know, that's under, you know, so you, you would not really be actually the best choice, you know, but still right. there's something about us that like, you know, Michael, he's funny, but is he really, you know, like it was always, you know, <laughs> it, it wouldn't stop him. You know, they'd still try and put me in. There. Yeah. But then again, the fact that you would not be the most logical pick might be yeah. why. There you go. You, you could be. Hit. I mean, all this kind of shit. Now we're back yeah. to it. Now we're back to you are it, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, you know, who knows? All right. Favorite Palestinian food, Ahmed. Not Bamia. Don't Bam, say Bamia. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go out on this. <laughs> okay. I mean, look, my favorite Palestinian food that is yeah. not Bamia is by far Matlubi. Matlubi. Do you like it with is... um, jam with eggplants or with uh, cauliflower? So, it, you know, it depends. First of all, I mean, let's just, since we're talking about this, um, Bam, <laughs> uh, Matlubi, eggplant goes with meat and cauliflower goes with yes. chicken. So yeah. if it's a meat-based metlubi, then of course I love eggplant with it. If it's a chicken-based metlubi, then it has to be cauliflower. I tend to make it more with chicken and cauliflower because I like the spices that are in the flavor of the bamye. I mean, sorry, in the flavor of the metlubi. <laughs> and this, and this- Bamye uh, on and the brain. Things. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I like the spices that are in the flavor of the metlubi. And yeah. the chicken takes on those spices much better to me than the meat. But I love a good meat-based matlubi. But if I had to take my pick, it would be chicken, chicken and cauliflower. Matlubi. Sometimes you throw in some chickpeas. Sometimes you might even throw in a few potatoes. Uh, top it all with uh, toasted um, almonds pine or nuts. pine nuts. Yeah. And then uh, lots of parsley. And that is a beautiful matlubi with a big dollop of hummus. I mean, uh, lebanese on top of yep. it. And uh, leban. And that is that is a great dish. But, you know, now I'm mixing up all kinds of Arabic food terms because I'm thinking about Arabic food and I'm thinking about what I'm going to do later on. But Metlubi. are you are you pro shatta or anti shatta? So, I mean, I, you know, I, I come I like a lot of uh, a little bit of spice in my food, but I don't come from the land of uh, Gaza like you do, where they literally put jalapenos and peppers on everything, you know, including yeah. jalapenos and peppers. I mean, they 100%. put shatta on shatta. 
And this is like, I think they rub shatta on their babies when they're born, you know, just to like, do you, you know, know how initiate them. my grandfather eats his meal, his dinner, it'll be like the chili will be just sitting in front of him and he'll just bite into it. Mm. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, you just, he'll, he can sit down and eat like three or four jalapenos and you know, yeah. that's just dinner. I mean, I think this and came out of necessity. Bites. Yeah, I think this came out of necessity. I, I mean, I'm sure at one point there was probably just like an abundance of chilies in Gaza and there was a food shortage and, you know, people had to eat a lot of chilies to get you by. think so? I mean, yeah, of course. Was this I mean, our this potato is, famine? Yeah, this is how things come about. I mean, like my dad will to this. My dad was an UNRWA refugee. OK, now he has a Ph.D. in a large house and a lot of cars, but he will still like sometimes just take an onion and just like eat an onion like an apple <laughs> yeah. because that's what they had you know that's this is they didn't have all that other shit you know this is this is why arabs always try to trick you You know they try to trick you and you know because you know arabs eat every part of the lamb like literally every part of the lamb and they they try to play mind games with you and they'll say shit to you like well you know the the brain is the delicacy and i'm like i'm like like, no it isn't okay then they'll be like you know the eyes are the delicacy and i'm like no the eyes are not the delicacy okay you know that's the shit they gave you that's the shit the butcher gave you for like free or almost nothing because he couldn't sell it okay and you made it work good for you that's a lot of ingenuity and innovation but you know what the the delicacy is the meat Okay, the leg, the shoulder, that was the delicacy. That was the shit people paid for. But, you know, they try to trick us, you know, with all that kind of stuff. You know, they're like, you know, we when you take the intestine and you really clean them, you know, they're really delicious. I'm like, no, it's okay, dude. Listen, we came to America. We made money. We are doing pretty well for ourselves now. You know, we don't need to eat the intestine anymore. And now you have like well-to-do Arabs in America and there's an abundance of meat are like searching grocery stores for like sheep intestine. Do you have any sheep intestine? Because I really would like some because that is our delicacy. I'm like, it's not the fucking delicacy. Okay. You know, but this is, this is what they do. They try to trick you into that kind of stuff. So yeah, but yeah. Right, you know, this is how food, this is how I think food culture sometimes just comes out of necessity. So I think one time in Gaza, you know, there were just like so many jalapenos and they said, oh, well, we got to figure yeah. it. We can't throw it away because we don't throw anything away. So we can't, can't throw yeah. it away. So we got to figure out how to eat all this shit. And, you know, it became a staple of Gaza cuisine. That's what I think happened. And that's one of the things that's one of the things that the Zionists did not steal. They were like, ah, we're good on intestine, actually. Yeah, no, there's yeah. certain things they won't take. <laughs> thank you so much all right. for your time. Thank you so much. And your My pleasure. And thank, and, and and thank you for you guys. anecdotes, everything. Well, and thank you for what you guys are doing. I'm really proud of you. I love you both. Keep doing it in any ways that I can help in the future. You just let me know. Is that your background where there's like a weed whacker? Or is that a, or maybe a motorcycle? Yeah. It's probably me. You got a motorbike. You know, I'm right the... on the street. I'm right yeah. on the street. No worries. Is your window open? No. <laughs> Everything's closed. <laughs> All right. Cool. 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 It's cool. just Paris. The walls are made out of paper.
Why is that? You can hear everything. Because all the buildings are like a billion years old. How have, how have buildings that are made out of paper lasted billions of years? You know what I mean? It's like, what is that? How, that doesn't make sense. It's like, oh, that's the buildings are made of shit. They've been here forever. You know, it's like, what? But that's what it is. There's, there's no insulation. There's no like soundproof technology.